Three Dog Thursday on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, presented to you in part by MyBookie.ag. Yes, the UFC is back. International Soccer is back. NASCAR is now back. PGA Tour Golf is on the horizon. Their casino is open 24-7 at MyBookie, so use the promo code SGP and save up to $1,000 in deposit bonus. That's MyBookie.ag. The promo code is SGP to play, win, and get paid. We're also brought to you in part by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com SGP. That's aceperhead.com SGP. Football fans. It's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reeves. Well, hello there and welcome in to another edition of the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to those underdogs when we're playing the games. And yes, slowly the games are coming back. It is Three Dog Thursday. We all need some sports right now as the calendar has flipped to June. With everything that's been going on in the world with COVID-19, obviously with the protests that have gone on all throughout uh, the past week plus uh, all over the country and the civil unrest sports is supposed to be the release something that brings us together distracts us and we've now begun to have some of that and more of that is forthcoming and i'm all about it i'm all excited uh that we're going to start seeing more and more sports resume the optimism that is resuming because that's what we do here on this podcast i am merely the somewhat capable host Uh, here on the program and however you found this podcast wherever you found this podcast either from sportsgamblingpodcast.com or the sports gambling podcast network feed of shows uh, subscribe away social media link however you found it subscribe away easiest way look for three dog thursday on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, spreaker wherever you get podcasts Uh, stitcher uh, on and on down the list uh, again, I uh, can't say enough that on Thursdays it'll come automatically to your phone, your your iPad, your handheld device if you subscribe. And by the way, if you have subscribed, I, I keep saying this, we have seen uh, in recent weeks and months, obviously with everybody social distancing, isolating and looking for different content, different shows, people are gravitating and finding Three Dog Thursday. Rate us and review us. Continue doing that. I see uh, ratings and reviews on Apple, on Google Podcasts. Uh, on Spotify, keep those coming. Rate and review the podcast. More people will be able to find it and see it uh, if you do that. So spread the word with what we do. want to say up front that usually uh, Brian Edwards is here with me. He's got the week off uh, now in uh, in June. Again, uh, there is some here and there to handicap, but Brian has been doing great work with me even in the quote-unquote off-season of sports here where everything is shut down. There is no football. Uh, there is no NBA and NBA playoffs. There is no Stanley Cup and Stanley Cup playoffs that are ongoing, at least not yet. 
So Brian from uh, Vegas Insider and MajorWager.com, still doing his stuff. He's just not on the podcast this week, taking a little vacay from the show. In his stead, uh, love having these guys as regular guests and partners here on Three Dog Thursday from the Winning Cures Everything podcast and show. Gary Seegers will be back on board. Gary and Chris Giannini host their show five days a week. It is on all of the streaming platforms like Facebook and Periscope and YouTube. Uh, and on and on, uh, but also available in podcast form, Winning Cures Everything, where they talk it all up, all the na- day's news, uh, inside analysis, all of it, Winning Cures Everything on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, same places you find Three Dog Thursday, Google Podcasts, uh, everywhere that you find your podcast, go find Winning Cures Everything. So Gary's going to be here, and we're going to talk a little football, football rules, I am a proponent. I I love the idea of instead of the onside kick, go to the fourth and fifteen that they had been talking about. Go to the one play fourth and fifteen at your own twenty-five yard line. Much much risk involved. A low percentage that you can make a first down on that to keep the ball. Gary and I are going to debate what the NFL kicked around at the suggestion of the Eagles and the Lions kicked around maybe implementing this, but decided now not to implement it in the rule changes for the upcoming NFL season. So he and I will discuss that. We'll discuss instant replay, the use of it. Should there be an eye-in-the-sky extra official? Gary and I will have thoughts uh, on that. And then what's going on with the NBA? I'll say it more with Gary, but I'll say it briefly here. For Adam Silver and the NBA not to be ready to go, at least uh, towards the end of this month, now that we're in June, this is traditionally when they crown their champion in the NBA Finals, but they don't even have the resumption of the season figured out. Is the regular season going to continue and in what form? And for me, I'll say this again with Gary, you've got to be equitable. You've got to play the entire rest of the regular season if you're going to resume. Uh, it is unfair uh, to the teams that are way out of it. Hey, suit up for four games here just because the teams that are in the playoffs need a little bit of work. And for the teams that are chasing the final spot uh, in the East or the Western Conference, you got to play the remainder of the regular season games or else play none of them. And I believe they should just advance to the postseason right now. It's clean for who the eight teams are in both conferences because the ninth seed is far enough away, three or four games away, you didn't get it done. When the sport had to shut down because of the coronavirus, you didn't get in the tournament in the Eastern or Western Conference of the eight teams. It is much easier, much less daunting to operate with the 16 teams in the NBA postseason, then go with everybody comes to play a few games. If they're only going to use Orlando and the Disney Wild World of Sports in Florida where I am, or even if they split it between Orlando and Las Vegas, but the preference apparently is to come to Orlando, one site, do it with just the playoff teams. And you could bang out the the Eastern and Western Conference playoffs probably in the span of about three weeks, maybe four weeks, and be to the NBA Finals by by mid-July or or late July at the latest. But they, they weren't ready to go here in June, apparently are not going to be ready to go. It's not been agreed upon as of yet until July. And if you're playing regular season games before you play the postseason, they're going to bleed into August and September and the football season. So to me, that's a misstep by the NBA. We'll talk more with Gary Seegers about that uh, in a little bit. Then a special guest will be with me. Uh, who has spent a long time, four and a half years worth, researching and finding out what he could and then writing about Yogi Berra, the legendary New York Yankees 
all-star, MVP, world champion, multi-time over world champion, Yogi Berra, leader, captain of the Yankees, the catcher uh, of the New York Yankees. The book is Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. And John Pessa is here as the author of that book, a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author for previous books about baseball, the former editor of ESPN, the magazine. I want to talk Yankees, the legend, the persona of Yogi Berra with John, who's written this book. And we don't have baseball right now, and we don't know for sure when baseball can crank up. You may be listening to Three Dog Thursday subsequently here, and they finally come to an agreement, but right now it's a stalemate. I I can't believe again that baseball that was on the cusp of starting its season, they were about two weeks away from starting the season, the regular season, in Major League Baseball back in March when the COVID-19 shutdown happened. How were we in June, and they're still trying to figure out what's the deal, what's the percentage of money that we're going to get, how many games are we going to play, much less we haven't resumed spring training for 10 days, two weeks, something to get guys in shape and start playing. The goal was be ready to play July 1st and play 90 days worth, play an 80-game or 100-game schedule in July, August, September. You don't want to be playing the postseason in November. It's going to be freezing cold in too many places, unless you're playing indoors on neutral sites. So anyway, John will be here. We need to talk some baseball. He'll reminisce. We'll talk the Yankees, all the legendary Yankees from Ruth to Gehrig to Barra to DiMaggio to Mantle, moving forward to Reggie Jackson and then Derek Jeter and on and on with all the Yankee heroes. Yogi Berra may may have been as big a hero as there was for the New York Yankees, and John Pessa has written about him. I look forward to talking with John, and this book, by the way, makes a great gift coming up for Father's Day. The book is out now. John will tell you more about it. So I'm anxious to hear from him on the show. So all of that is coming up. Thank you for finding me here as part of Three Dog Thursday. And we look forward to rolling it all out, whether it's NFL, conversation in the offseason, the NBA that hasn't started back up, or some baseball as well. Let's get rolling here on Three Dog Thursday. Rolling along into the month of June and sports starting to come back alive. And who better to help tackle some of the topics with me then my winning cures everything, guys. Gary Seegers, Chris Giannini, I always love their insight whenever I have them on the program. They are most generous to have me come out and hang out with them on an occasion. They are on five days a week right now with the Winning Cures Everything program that is on all of the social media platforms through YouTube, Facebook Live, Periscope, you name it, plus their podcast version of their show is found through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts under Winning Cures. And, of course, winningcureseverything.com is the aggregate. I think I got all the promotional stuff right. If I didn't, he'll correct me. He's Gary <laughs> Seegers back with me. Good to be with you, brother. Absolutely good to be with you as well. Yeah, you, you knocked out every bit of that. That was, uh, that was pretty impressive to remember that off the top of your head. I, I do what I can, and I enjoy getting to – I don't get to hear every day all the time, but I get to hear segments, chunks, and a lot of shows a lot of the time on Winning Cures. And you and Chris were like two dogs fighting over the same milk bone uh, going at it about the NFL instant replay. Let's begin – uh, right there, uh, not just the NFL instant replay, but rule changes, etc. Well, first of all, I-, I think it's lost on a lot of people because of the coronavirus pandemic, the shutdown of sports, um, not having any games, 
And then sometimes like little, well, not little, but thing, things get by people. Like the NFL has announced, we're not reviewing pass interference anymore. That was a one-year thing. There's no sentiment to bring it back. It was a nightmare. It was a disaster. Uh, Gary, so we need to emphasize that, that come this fall, if, if it's an egregious pass interference call, there's nothing the coaches are going to be able to do about it. It's expired, and so it's going to go back the way it was pre-2019. So I guess your reaction to that first, that that was a few weeks ago that that came out. Well, my reaction is, of course, they decided to drop it because the referees would not call it at all. So, I mean, whether it was reviewed or not, the refs wouldn't touch it. It was kind of the most ridiculous thing in the world. And then once you got a feel for how the refs felt about it, uh, even if a coach did review it, they never changed them. I mean, we had, what, one instance, I think, and it was actually against the Saints. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it, it was just unreal the way that it went down. So, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense why they would say, okay, like this obviously did not do what we wanted it to do. Uh, let, let's just drop it. So I, I totally get why they – Do uh, you believe that it was a failure by Roger Goodell to have not been more adamant in the forefront – that for Al Riveron and his command center, the infamous, the nefarious command center in New York, that you need to be doing a better job that if we see what is obvious interference, they've got to call it on the field or you've got to rule it in here or I'm going to have new people officiating my games. Do you believe this is a failure of Goodell and the NFL leadership not putting their feet to the fire enough? I Yes, I do. Um, I think it is ridiculous that it, just because they miss a call, they are not willing to go back and fix it. it it's an <laughs> ego thing. Uh, it's the referees. But at the same time, they are being enabled by Roger Goodell. I mean, it, at this point, you know, we're, we're speaking a little earlier in the week than usual. Um, you know, Barstool Sports president uh, or founder, owner, whatever you want to call it, uh, Dave Portnoy, he won an auction and right. Goodell basically told him, like, no, you, even though you won the auction, you still can't come and, and do what you paid for. Like, it, it's an ego thing. You know, nobody's willing to look in the mirror and admit their faults, admit when they're wrong. And, and all of them are just enabled by each other. You know, it, it's kind of like being surrounded by an echo chamber. Yeah. So, you know, I, yes, it is 100% their fault, but there's nobody that's around them that's going to be able to uh, to make them change. And as long as they're printing money, uh, they're going to keep doing the same thing. And by the way, I, I was on the record numerous times uh, as this was going on, and this is not after the fact, this is not 2020 hindsight. I believe this was a real can of worms because there were so many other aspects of penalty, no penalty, that you weren't going to review. And that was going to aggravate people just as much. If there was a blatant hold on a key play by an offensive lineman, you couldn't review it. If somebody is lined up off sides in a key situation, you couldn't review it. So I, I really thought that it was flawed for that reason, and, and maybe... Um, in the end here, what the NFL said was uh, we were bullied into this by what happened in that Saints-Rams-NFC playoff game a couple of years ago. And so we're going to madden all of you, not John Madden, the famous announcer. We're going to make you mad. We're going to make you crazy by wanting this, that uh, that you don't get what you want with the reviews, and then you won't want it. And so... Uh, I, I, you know, I never really believe they should have been in the business of legislating penalty or no penalty to begin with. 
Um, all right, so what about this? While we're on the subject again here, there has been some sentiment for the eighth official up in the booth, kind of the eye in the sky. We saw the Alliance of American Football, the Spring League, do this. We've saw, we've seen some other suggestions of this, and even, even the XFL earlier this year was doing this, with essentially a replay official that is an eighth official that can initiate calls on their own, can buzz down to the referee and say, wait a minute, hold the play clock, hold the next play, I think there was a penalty on this play or there there was something you missed and I'm the eighth referee up in the booth. Forget about a command center. What say you, Gary, should they, I mean, it is 2020. Should they be looking at, now that other leagues have shown it, should they been, have they, have they uh, missed out here and should they be looking out in the coming years, 2021, 2022, at an official in the booth to assist? I would, so I'm a little torn on this. I would say yes, because obviously you want to be able to catch uh, egregious errors, right? You want to be able to handle that because if you don't, it makes it look like you don't care about what happens on the on the field. And it gives people uh, all of these ideas about conspiracies and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, they wanted that team to win because that was obvious holding and they didn't call. But on the other side, you know, I, I still like the human element. You know, if you're able to get away with something, that's just part of the game. And it, it has been the entire existence of the football league. I, You know, I, I think maybe keeping it the way it is uh, is the way that I would prefer. But because uh, if you go the other way, you're going to have to teach players a different way of doing things, et cetera. Uh, the best players obviously are going to stand out much more so than others. I, I think I would – I would be fine doing away with it, like or not doing away, but just not having it. I, I think I like the human element and and having mistakes made in here and there. I, you know, and that's probably just me. I'm, I believe I'm in the minority. Yeah, I, I, but, you're uh, in the, you're the distinct minority on that one, and I think most people were just <laughs> screaming at you, even though you couldn't hear them. That if the call is wrong with all the high definition slow mo replays, like I got a buddy of ours, and he's right there in the mid south with you, uh, and he's on the radio in Memphis. Brett Norsworthy stats. Uh, he's on with Dave Wilotion in the afternoons on on the over the air station Sports Fifty Six WHBQ, and what he has brought up. I think is a uh, it's a great suggestion. Now it's a 1950s suggestion, but what he has said is, I am all for do away with the high definition slow mo replay. Do away with all the HD replays and all the technology you have, and go back to what we used to have, which is make you watch the game with the naked eye and decide for yourself: did he catch it or not? Is he inbounds or not? Is he down or not? And forget the super slow mo high definition replay, and then you won't have as big a problem with oh they really missed it on a replay. Now I understand that's never going to happen. There's too many hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in the televising of NFL and college football. So we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube on that. But I understand his his premise. His premise is we used to accept this, like what you're talking about. We would accept they're human beings. They're going to miss safe or out. They're going to miss out of bounds or not, catch or not. They're going to miss it in football, baseball, basketball, hockey, in these different sports. But now, because of the technology zooming in, you know, with 1080i and 4K, and okay, we can see that ball's clearly on the ground. We got to do something about it. When everybody can see at home, when everybody in the stadium can see on a video board that that guy's out of bounds, that foot's on the white line, we got to call it. We got to call it in the present day technology. 
So that's where I come down on that. Uh, how preposterous, though, do you think that is? Hey, do away with the replays. Do away with the slow motion replay, the high definition still photos, and then you can go along with, okay, replay doesn't need to be part of the game because we're, the officials don't get that look by and large. If nobody gets the look, then we're fine with it. As crazy as it sounds, I would go for that, but we're not going back to the 50s, right? No, I, I don't believe we are. And, and yes, I can be persuaded here. Like I said, I'm, I'm torn on this. Um, Yes, if you're going to keep the high-def stuff, if you're going to keep it where it looks like, uh, again, that there are conspiracies and, and whatever else, then yes. You know, it, yeah, you're going to have to just call stuff the way it is. Uh, I remember, you know me, I'm an Alabama fan. 1995, Alabama's playing at Auburn. Uh, Curtis Brown, a wide receiver, catches a pass in the back of the end zone. <laughs> it visibly, easily catches it, but they don't have replay review back in 1995 and there are pictures my dad has a framed picture oh. where he caught this touchdown pass late in the ball game and they didn't give it to him they said he was out of bounds and, and it was so clear and no and, mechanism and, to review no mechanism exactly. to overturn it right you got it you got it no mechanism to review it or overturn it or anything like that you couldn't go back so in that instance you know we have improved um, but I just wonder how much is too much. You know, how long are we going to make these games? Just how how crazy is this going to get? Um, but like I said, I can be persuaded. I, I can go the other direction. Um, if we are going to have the HD stuff, if we are going to do that, yeah, I, maybe we do need to go that way. But uh, but I, I don't like the idea of just completely taking the human element out of the game. Yeah, you got to have some of that. And um, and it's getting tougher and tougher to get guys to want to go officiate. Mike Mike Pereira has talked about this for two or three years now. What you're doing is repeatedly pointing out the flaws and embarrassing the guys making the calls. And you're making this you're making this to the point where guys don't want to do this anymore for a living. They don't want to be second guessed. They don't want to be aggravated. You're going to start running away, uh, running off the better officials in groups. Uh, in large, and then you're going to be in real trouble with the quality of officiating. So I don't know that it becomes that drastic, but it's just interesting, all, all the different viewpoints. Again, Gary Seegers, Winning Cures Everything podcast. He and Chris Giannini, uh, they do a fantastic job. Find them at winningcureseverything.com, uh, at Winning Cures on Twitter, Winning Cures Everything on Facebook, and again, their daily show. It's out every afternoon, Monday through Friday, uh, airs on all the platforms, on Facebook, on Periscope, on YouTube, Win- Winning cures everything on all of sports. Um, I, I promise I want to get to some theoretical stuff about when the hockey, the NBA, that kind of stuff is resuming later in the summer while I have you here. But you and Chris, again, we're going back and forth on rule changes, uh, as I made mention. And I heard you on a show, and I think it was about a week ago, on this proposal. The Eagles put it forward uh, with another club. I want to say maybe Detroit was backing them as well. On instead of an onside kick, let's use fourth and 15 from the 25 yard line, which is a riskier play than in terms of field position and, and uh, what you have to be able to gain than the onside kick itself. Again, I think they took a lot of time to look at it. There was a lot of risk. I love the sentiment. I, uh, to me, I think this will eventually come into play. They will try it for a year like they did with instant replay. I know I am talking to the converted Gary Seegers. You agree with me. Chris disagreed with you uh, that it shouldn't be there. It's not going to be there. So give me your reaction now that they reviewed it. They talked about it. They said, hey, we're only going to use it, I believe, in the fourth quarter uh, or overtime. 
uh, in, and I think they even had it honed in to the last couple of minutes uh, that you couldn't use it all the time. It's an untimed play. Uh, they they really t- put a lot of thought into fourth and 15 uh, instead of an onside kick. I liked it. They killed it. So what's your reaction now that they've killed it and they say they're not doing it for 2020? Right, so it's definitely killed for 2020. However, uh, it was shelved, right? They, they tabled it, and they are going to keep it up for discussion uh, going into next season. And the deal here, and Chris actually came over to our side. He's, uh, he's, he's on board with this. But um, One of the rare he, occasions where you can congratulate him for finally being smart and seeing it the way you see it. I'm just having fun with you and Gene. Go, go ahead, yeah. Of course, of course. No, I, I agree 100%. This is, you know, an XFL kind of play. But, but these spring startup leagues, uh, just like we talked about with the, uh, the, the eye in the sky, it, it's, it brings different ideas to the table, and it allows the NFL to see how it would actually work in a game. Uh, when you do an onside kick, the way that things go now, I mean, the hands teams are so good, and if the other team knows that you are going for an onside kick, uh, it is almost impossible. Uh, to get the yes. right kind of bounce. I mean, it really does uh, fall on the luck of the ball just bouncing your direction. And if I'm the NFL, you know, obviously you want games to be as competitive as humanly possible. And what this does is it gives teams, uh, especially teams that have an offensive advantage, a chance late in the game, even if you're down by two touchdowns or something like that, you can keep the offense moving. And it it brings in more viewers, more Etc. Right. It, it just it helps ratings. It helps keep the game competitive. Now, if I'm on the other side, yeah, I can argue against it because if you worked your rear end off and you had a two touchdown lead with two minutes left in the game, uh, you should be able to win that ball game without a whole lot of uh, you know additional stress, right? But I think this would be great for everybody. I mean, you have to continue to play defense the entire sixty minutes. You have to continue to find a way to get stops. If you can't get stops, um, then obviously, you know, it, it, it helps, I think, everything. It helps everything. It helps make the game more competitive. It's more entertaining for the fans. Um, and Chris brought up an interesting point. Like, look, yes, it makes it more entertaining, but they've already got the market share. They've already got the fans. So they don't really have to appease the fans because it's not like anybody's going anywhere anyway. My thought process Which I understand. is yeah, right, you can right. bring in more fans. You can bring in more people. You can always bring more people to these well, games. Okay. And the games that are out of reach, at this point, they would be more competitive because yes. you at least have a There shot. it is. Well, and so, and so one of the things you guys were discussing, again, on Winning Cures, was they looked at the extra point and said, and correctly said, this has become a non-play. This is like a 98% or 99% even conversion year after year after year. It is a non-play. So we have two things that we can do. We can either do away with the non-play. We can just say, hey, it's seven points for a touchdown now. Or we can make this more exciting. Or you you could really have three options. You no longer can kick for that point. You're now going to have the ball at either the two for a two-pointer or the one for a one-pointer, which I would kind of like that choice, and the XFL was messing around with that. Or we can decide, because it's a non-play, we're going to make it more challenging to get that one point and back it up. And what have they done now? They have made not only the extra point much more competitive, and it's not a non-play, and drastically, like 10 times more have been missed year after year after year because you've backed it up by 16 or 17 yards. 
and it's now gotten in the head of kickers. You know this, Gary. Everywhere. It's gotten in the head of kickers. They can't make automatically 35- and 40-yard kicks anymore because the kick, the extra point kick, is in their head. The drama of the mid-range kick, field goal and extra point, is now there. Especially for the extra point, the drama of the extra point is now there. This is kind of the same out-of-the-box thought, just like that rule change of the onside kick has become a non-play. And so much so that I believe the numbers were from last year, help me if, I, if I've got it wrong, but it was at least 100 attempts at an onside kick and something like seven conversions, something like that, Gary, if I have that right. It was yeah, somewhere it was, along it those. Really, really bad. It's really yeah. bad. It's it's like less than ten percent, and it may have even been a hundred and fifty or more attempts on onside kicks. I, I for some reason the I don't have it in front of me. The number seven sticks, and I'm not thinking of just Mickey Mantle. The number seven sticks for some reason, um, and and there was only one team, and that was the Atlanta Falcons that converted two of them, and they were the only ones that did out of seven successful attempts. When it used to be back in the 80s and the 90s before the rule changes with safeties, you would uh, with safety and safety issues and big collisions, you would have teams that could maybe recover a half dozen or 10 onside kicks. They were good at it in a season to get the ball back. Now you have almost no chance to do it. So take take a look at a non-play. That's the idea. And how do we put some excitement in a situation where a team is trying to come back? And from my standpoint, uh, look, if you are on defense, and I don't care if it's the Chiefs, you guys were bringing this up, Gary. I don't care if it's Mahomes and his weapons. If you are a defense, and I don't care how fatigued you are, if you can't stop a team on a 4th and 15 one-play shot, then then let them have the ball back after a first down. That's part of the game. That is that is part of the game. Uh, you, yes. you are at so much of an advantage at 4th and 15 and in the in the minus territory for the offense – I just didn't have a problem with it. And I would not have had a problem with it if they had instituted this across the board, use it any time you want except to start the game or to start the second half. Those are the only two times or in the overtime. If you're starting a half or starting the overtime, you can't use it. Other than that, you can use it any time you want. I'd be all for it. I really would, and I hope I hope the NFL takes a stronger look at it for 2021-2022. Any other thoughts from you about it? Um, well, uh, let me get back to that extra point thing that you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, last season, just to show the uh, the disparity, there were 39 kickers in the NFL that attempted an extra point last year. Ten of them actually went perfect, and of those ten, four of them attempted ten kicks or less. Wow. Um, that that's pretty insane, right? So all the rest of them missed. So at least 29, one extra point 29 of the 39 kickers yeah. missed at least one extra point. It is, it, it has changed the game. Four. It has changed the kicking aspect of the game because it's in their head. There's no doubt. Keep going. A hundred percent. So yes, it, it, I agree with everything that you were talking about. It does. If you would make it part of the game, all of these teams would have to adjust what they are doing. Right. Now, what I was curious about, because they didn't make it totally specific, is, okay, do we, do we know if it is only the trailing team that can do it? Because one of his issues with it was, well, do we just let the Chiefs go for fourth and 15 every time they have the ball? Uh, because that, that would not be good. And obviously they switched it up to where, okay, it's only allowed in the fourth quarter. And I believe they were trying to switch it to where only the trailing team can try it. Now, right. I don't know that that's necessarily fair, 
Um, I think that might have been some of the pushback because you don't want to give some teams an unfair advantage. But, you know, again, I think it's better for competition. I think it's better to make these games more competitive. Um, If you have a two-touchdown lead with two minutes left in the game, most people are just turning that bad boy off. Um, Unless you got money on the line, which a lot of us typically do. But, you know, a a lot of the cases, you you just want a really entertaining product, and I think that this makes it a more entertaining product. And the way they went about it with 4th and 15, I mean, the 4th and 15 conversion rate was less. This is why the Eagles and the Lions in particular were advancing this. It's less than the onside conversion rate of being able to convert 4th and 15. Now, the sample size, there's very few teams that are going to go for a 4th and 15 unless you're desperate at the very end of a game anyway. So there's not, there's not as many times when that play is going to come up uh, versus an onside kick or a surprise onside. Again, I would be in favor uh, just one more, and we'll move off of this. I would be in favor of using it the entire game, just not to start a half. You're leading, you can use it. You're behind, you can use it. Do whatever you want, because you're at a distinct disadvantage on 4th and 15. Again, to make it clear, you're doing this at your own 25-yard line. And if whatever you're doing doesn't work, the other team has got a golden opportunity to likely at least get a field goal, if not a touchdown. You have set them up. You've given them 30 30, 40 yards of field position, maybe 50 yards of field position, depending on how good your your kickoff person is and your coverage team is. By doing this, it's a great deterrent. Most teams would not use it early in a game, in the first half of a game, or even the first three quarters of a game. But I would love to have it available. Are you on board with me that if we see it uh, down the road that it should be available whenever you want to use it? Are you, are you in favor, though, of the fourth quarter restrictions, last five minutes, last two-minute restrictions, only the trailing team? You want restrictions on it? What about it? I, I think I would be okay with just doing it at any point, but I, I am also okay with still allowing the onside kick, right? This is just an alternative. Uh, guys like Pat McAfee, you know, used to kick for the Colts. He was the king of the, the surprise onside kick. Right. Um, and, and there were a lot of teams that would, that would play against it, and it actually it, it cut down on the number of concussions, the number of kickoff injuries, all that kind of stuff, because – Players would have to play more up on those teams because they never knew when it was coming. So I'm I'm still good with doing onside kicks, but I do like having the option of this as well. Uh, that way, if you know that you're behind and it doesn't, I mean, you're desperate and you know that you have to get the ball back uh, and you like your odds of this as opposed to an onside kick, yes, I'd have that all day. There's not a very, there's not a lot of coaches at all that would do this regularly. So I don't think that that would become a problem. But I do believe it should be an option at any point. So, yeah, I think eventually, you're right, we are going to get to that point where they they do implement it. And I cannot wait to see it because I think it just brings a, another level of excitement to uh, to the game that we all love anyway. All right, we have talked fourth and fifteen now to death, and it it has already been shelved or has been killed at least for this year in the NFL. We'll see what happens in future years with that. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen in particular with the NBA, with the understanding that you and I are taping Three Dog Thursday, and they could. Uh, Adam Silver, the NBA Board of Governors, the Players Association come to an agreement any time here. You may be hearing us and you may know that that agreement has come forward uh, and has passed on what they're going to do. Gary and I don't know that. Right now at the time that we're taping, they have like 15 different scenarios. This is part of my problem with this. Are they going to resume the regular season? How many games are we going to play? How many teams are going to make the playoffs or not? Is it going to be 16? Is it going to be 20? Are we going to let everybody make the playoffs? 
Uh, Gary, are you a, just first comment? Are you as surprised as I am that the NBA, which is the second most lucrative of the pro sports in this country, in North America, if not worldwide, a global league, that they were they were poised to be at the forefront here when sports resumed because of the coronavirus in June, and yet still hemming and hawing, no agreement, may not see games until mid or late July for the NBA. Does it surprise you they're not more ready to go? What's your what's your thought on this real quick? It surprises me that we will have people riding rides at theme parks in the same state that they're going to be playing three <laughs> weeks before they ever actually play a game. Right. It amazes me. Like, yes, I understand that you've got to go through training camp again. You've got to get these players ready. Otherwise, you're going to see just an astronomical number of injuries. But you – you've got to be better prepared for this. I mean, it, you Texas opened up for sports leagues and whatnot to go ahead and start having fans in attendance on June 1st. Right. I mean, that is just absurd that the NBA has not found a way to get back quicker. Uh, the latest talk right now is that they're, they're discussing a round robin for the last playoff slot. They're going to play eight games, um, to get everybody kind of back in and they're, they're almost scrimmages kind of, but they do still count, I guess it's, I, I haven't, I don't fully understand exactly what it is. And I don't think anybody does. Well, I, I, I saw, okay. So is, let's just parse through really two or three of them real quick. I saw one where they said, Hey, we're going to have the essentially four, um, play in teams that are going to play round Robin for the final playoff spots, but everybody else, you're sitting back here, and you're waiting for the playoffs to begin. I'm completely against that. Shouldn't everybody have to play regular season games or nobody plays regular season games? Where do you come down on that, Gary, real quick? Yes, it is. The only reason that they are doing it for that last playoff slot is because the Memphis Grizzlies are sitting with a three-and-a-half game lead for the eighth slot in the West. Right Now, they had a pretty difficult schedule to close out, but the only reason they're doing that is because they want either Damian Lillard or uh, uh, Zion Williamson yep. in the playoffs. Portland they, they or New Orleans. The, the right. right. Now, who it really hurts, you know, the, the other thing that came out, I believe it was Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, uh, he said that he had heard they were taking the top 11 from both divisions, and that's who was going to go in and play, and everybody else is just done. Well, who that really hurts the most is the San Antonio Spurs. Because the Spurs are sitting back there at, uh, what is it, number 12 or whatever. I think so. They, yes. They're the ones being left out, and they are a half game behind the Portland Trailblazers, uh, the uh, Sacramento Kings, and whoever else, uh, the, the New Orleans Falcons. The, the Spurs are right there. They were, you know, they had 27 wins. The other guys had 28. And it's just ridiculous that we are at that point. You know, it, that they need star power that badly. Look, people are going to watch the NBA regardless. Yes. They don't care if it's the Grizzlies or the Pelicans or, or whoever. They don't care if it's Zion necessarily. Like, people are going to tune in for LeBron James and whatever else. Like, if you wanted to do this the smart way, you bring everybody back, you let them play four games, and, and not everybody, just, just even just the playoff teams. Let them play four games, and then you get the playoffs started. Right, they're they're going to push back the regular season in the uh, NBA more than likely until Christmas, which is what they should have done at the beginning of, right, of the league. Right, right, right. Really, um, and I think that that's going to help them out going forward because I think they just need to change the the timing of the schedule. Right, so 
you know, we'll see what happens with that. But, yes, the whole thing is ludicrous. They should be playing much quicker. They have missed their opportunity to uh, to capitalize on a sportsless summer. Well, here's yeah. the, we, we, here's the other key part. I, I, I'm with you. Here's the other part. Uh, you've already been in the offseason now at the time that we're taping for 11 weeks. This week is the 12th week that you've not been playing NBA basketball. There is no harm at this point in saying for the other teams, the other 14 teams that, or whatever it is uh, for the NBA, I get confused now. My eyes glaze over on trying to keep track of how many teams are in every league. For the non-playoff teams, your season ended back on March the uh, the 12th when we shut everything down, the night of March the 11th, the Wednesday night. The regular season is over, and it's clean like you mentioned because Memphis is three and a half in front for the final playoff spot in the West. Sorry, Portland. Sorry, New Orleans. Sorry, Sacramento. You didn't get close enough to them when the cutoff happened. It's beyond anybody's control. Orlando, I think, is five games or five and a half games uh, in the East for the eighth and final playoff spot. We have the 16 teams. It's now easier to come and play the playoffs. And, Gary, my point would be you, you start these little training camps to get people in shape, let them scrimmage with each other, maybe let them scrimmage for 15 or 20 minutes with another team, for example, to get loose, to get into game feel, not a real game, and then you go play the playoff games. And even if you want to do every round best of seven, you know the fear would be that the Lakers, as the one seed, uh, we're going to get beaten, or, or the uh, you know the Celtics or the Bucks or whomever are going to get beaten in the first round. Well, if you come out of this with everybody with the same opportunity and somebody can beat you four times out of seven in the opening round, then you didn't deserve to move on anyway. Everybody's on equal footing. If you if you can't win the opening round series on equal footing, then you didn't deserve to move on anyway in the postseason. So I think you take a couple of weeks. This is just world according to TJ. I want Gary's thought. I think you take a couple of weeks, you don't play any regular season games, you let these guys get loosened up a little bit, and you bang, come right away with one versus eight, two against seven, and on and on, best of seven, and you play it, and you can probably play it at one location, playing multiple games a day, probably play it in about a month or five weeks. You could play it in June, and uh, play it in July, play it about five weeks, you'd be done about mid-August, you'd be fine. But they didn't ask me. What is yeah. your thought? What is your thought on that? On no, no other games. Just have the sixteen teams. Let's go. Why are they not doing that? Uh, well, exactly what I told you. They want Zion Williamson and Damian Lillard to have a shot at the playoffs. They they want the star power. Uh, Memphis has John Morant, but really that you know that's not a huge TV draw as of right now. Uh, they want Zion in there. They want Damian Lillard in there, <laughs> and that is why they are having this discussion at all. You know, if you go and actually look at the stats, uh, Memphis had like a 45% chance of making the playoffs as of the, t- the ending of the season, right, when the pandemic hit and all that. Um, that's not a, a huge advantage. But even still, if you've got a three-and-a-half game lead, uh, if Memphis wins, you know, one out of every two games that they play, uh, they're getting in the playoffs because right. nobody is going to be able to keep up. You know, it, that's when Damian Lillard came out and said – if they are not going to give them a real opportunity to win, like to win into the tournament, to win, play into the playoffs, um, it, it let me know right off the bat that they are absolutely going to cave because that's what Adam Silver does. He has no plan, no uh, really no leadership skills here. He, he rests on everybody else telling him what they want done, and then he just does it. And that is what infuriates me about him because everybody thinks he's such a great commissioner – such a great uh, uh, guy and all this. It, the truth is, 
he does what the stars want him to do. And that's it. You know, he's not a, a Roger Goodell. He's not an authoritarian. So you believe you believe if the stars said we don't need the regular season, let's just play the playoffs, that's what they would do. So you believe, therefore, privately, this is the players association in particular saying, Hey, we need to have the finish to the regular season here and give the shot to Lillard and the Trailblazers, Zion and the Pelicans, uh the, the teams that are fighting for the second spot or the third spot to play an easier first round series, we gotta give them a shot. You think that's coming more from the players? than it is from the NBA hierarchy, the Board of Governors, and the Commissioner. That's what you believe, real quick, right? There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that they would 100% just go to the playoffs. Just knock it out. This season is basically a wash anyway. Uh, No, I don't think we're going to have an asterisk next to whoever the champion ends up being. But, you know, this is – we've never seen this before, where they basically end the season in March, and then you just pick it back up in August. Like, that's – it's strange. It doesn't happen. It, it'd be like trying to play the NCAA tournament in August. Right. You know, it, it's it's not normal. So that's what they're trying to do, and I understand where they're coming from with money and TV, you know, contracts and all this kind of stuff. But the, the bottom line is you're not going to play another 18 or 19 regular season games to close this thing out and then do the playoffs because you're not going to take all 30 teams down right. to uh, Orlando. It's just not going to happen. So it would make a lot more sense. What I was saying before, the MLB Players Association and the NBA Players Association are the two most powerful uh, unions in professional sports. Right. They have the most say. They get their way the majority of the time. Uh, I will say this for the NBA. At least they're not fighting over money, right? So we don't have that issue like baseball has right now. But, yeah, I I think this whole thing has to do with players and, and these Star players, even though they are three and a half games back or four games back, whatever, they say that they want a shot at the playoffs, and the NBA is going to try their best to give them a shot. And I think it's ridiculous. Get it figured out. Listen, uh, you have been most generous with your time. I said it was only going to be a few minutes, and yet I've kept you this long. Please plug away where everybody finds your great takes, you and Chris Giannini on Winning Cures Everything, so the audience off Three Dog Thursday can find you guys as well. Promote away, please. WinningCuresEverything.com is the website. You can find us on YouTube, on any of your favorite podcast apps. We're on Twitch. We're on Periscope. We are on uh, Facebook as well. Anywhere you want to jump in, we go live every day, Monday through Friday, uh, in the afternoon. Typically, it's around 4.30 Central. Uh, sometimes it's a little earlier, depending upon you know what our schedule calls for. But, uh, but yeah, we get a show out every single day, uh, and we'll do the same thing through the summer. And, uh, and yeah, we've had a lot of people jumping into uh, the chat there and whatnot. Your chat pops up on the screen, regardless of whatever uh, platform you were using. It just jumps right into our video, so everybody can see what you're saying. It's a good time. Uh, our Apple numbers have been really, really good during this pandemic. I'm a little surprised, honestly. Um, but we are very, very close to top 50 in sports news uh, in Apple Podcasts. So, Great. you know, we appreciate everybody jumping in on that. But you guys, uh, you know, come on over, join in the uh, the community there. And uh, and we definitely appreciate you, TJ, for, uh, for having us on all the time. I always love getting to talk with you and with Chris whenever you want me on. That's great. We're all in this together uh, in terms of no sports right now. Some stuff resuming, whether it's UFC, boxing, NASCAR, golf. Hope to God we get the NBA and the NHL playoffs. I don't know what's going to happen with baseball. Hopefully they get it resolved and get back out on the field for the first time in 2020 in the regular season anyway. We'll see if it happens. and You'll catch it all on winningcureseverything.com. 
and the Winning Cures show five days a week. Gary Seegers, you're my man. Thank you, sir. Hey, we appreciate you. Still to come, a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author John Pessa has written a new book that's out now about Yogi Berra, the legendary leader, catcher, MVP, world champion, multi-time over of the New York Yankees, Yogi, a life behind the mask. We'll be talking to John Pessa coming up shortly here on Three Dog Thursday. We're brought to you in part by MyBookie.ag. Whether you're down on your luck or you're just down because you're stuck, you can find some relief with MyBookie, and there's never a quarantine on the fun. Whether it's MMA, whether it's NASCAR, whether it's the golf starting up and soon-to-be hockey playoffs, basketball, they've even got new blackjack tournaments that are starting every week, offering opportunities to enter for free and score a portion of those huge jackpots. So uh, bet on everything. Uh, International soccer, uh, if you like. Whatever the case is, when sports resumes, uh, you can stay safe, you can stay home, and from the comfort of your home, sign up at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code SGP for Sports Gambling Podcast. SGP. They'll match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. So if you put 100 bucks in, they're going to put 50 in. You put 500 bucks in, they'll put $250 in. They've got the halfway match going right now with that promo code SGP. SGP. With MyBookie, you bet, you win, you most importantly get paid. It's MyBookie.ag. The promo code is SGP. We're also brought to you in part by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com SGP. That's aceperhead.com SGP. Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. Okay, ready to have some fun as I've been mentioning here on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Brand new book is out. Uh, And this is not just any book. It's a book about uh, the life of one of the characters, one of the great baseball players, one of the characters of the game back in the middle of the last century, all the way through, really probably he was a great character of the game all the way into the 80s and the 90s. And we're talking about Yogi Berra. And the book for Yogi Berra, the great New York Yankees great, is Yogi Berra, A Life Behind the Mask. I want to talk more about him, his life, his impact on the game of baseball with the author of the book, a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author out of the New York area. John Pessa is with me on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Young man, it is good to have you. And I know, I, I know because we already did this before we started rolling on this, you're looking forward, and so am I, to talking about Yogi because he was piece of work, a lot of fun, and it had to be a lot of fun to do this. How are you? TJ, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And you're right. I spent four and a half years on this, and it was it was really a treat. I mean, I'm a you know born and bred Yankee fan. My my he was my father's uh, favorite player. My father told me how dynamic of a player he was, and I didn't get to. I was born in '52, so I didn't really see Yogi until 1960 when he was an outfielder. So going back and and seeing just what a great player he was 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 such a, a both a revelation and a treat. And you and I are very much alike in that he Yogi Berra was my father's hero. 
uh, to the point that my father wanted to be a catcher, John, because of Yogi Berra. And there's probably young boys uh, by the tens of thousands that gravitated towards trying catching because of how big of an icon Yogi Berra was. Uh, My father tells the story that even as a Little League player, you'll love this, that he would try to mimic Yogi Berra knocking the dirt off of his cleats, tapping the cleats (laughs) with the bat before the at-bat. Of course, as a kid, you don't know what he's doing. You don't understand that. And my father tells a story that he would be bashing the insteps of his feet, bashing his his heels, bashing the shin bone, bashing everything with the bat, bleeding from this because he was trying to mimic what Yoki was his doing. His favorite player. Oh, his favorite player. Uh, well, so, I'll tell you what, my father did become a catcher, um, played in, in softball leagues when I was growing up, and of course that meant that I became a catcher. Um, until I, until later on in my uh, limited baseball career, they switched me to center field. Um, but uh, you know, I, I got a funny story about the um, the the uh, you know imit- imitating some of Yogi's uh, quirks. The very first game that he played in 1946, uh, he came up for for a week at the end of the season. The Yankees that was a bad season for the Yankees. They literally had three managers that season. And he gets up there uh, in the on-deck circle, and he's swinging three bats. And Joe DiMaggio is sitting there. And Joe DiMaggio was, you know, the, 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 the king of baseball. And he sees this kid swinging three bats and, and goes, oh, God, what do we got here? You know, a show-off. And the second time Yogi's up, he, t- he pulls an outside pitch, about a foot outside the plate, into right field for a home run. And DiMaggio sat up and said, hmm. Maybe we have something here. And he became one of DiMaggio's best friends in baseball. DiMaggio didn't, um, didn't make many friends, uh, but Yogi, Yogi was one of them, and they ended up lockering together for the, for the three years, four years that they overlapped. Wow. Uh, all about the routine. All right, so let's back up a step. You mentioned lifelong Yankee fan. You mentioned your father uh, loved him, uh, and that was another motivation. What else drew you to him? Because I'm just curious, there are many things that could have drawn you to this personality, because you mentioned DiMaggio. You had Mickey Mantle around that time. You could have been drawn to several of these. What else drew you to Yogi Berra, John? I'll tell you, you know, the overall, I mean, Yogi was a larger-than-life figure. Even though standing on his tiptoes, he probably made it to about five foot eight. But he was, uh, you know, his fame, um, to, the, to the day he died, everyone in America knew who Yogi Berra was. In fact, when, when, when his name appeared on the, on the list for the Medal of Freedom, um, that, that President Obama went through, he went down the list and he saw Yogi's name and he stopped and his aide said, you know, what's the problem? And he goes, how is it that Yogi Berra doesn't have this medal already? I mean, everybody heard about Yogi. Everybody loves Yogi. And, you know, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. So have I, you know, that a lot of this is about figuring out how people handle their fame. I mean, it's a, it's a, everyone would love to be famous, but it's not an easy thing to be. Mm. And this, this guy ended up being one of the most approachable, one of the most um, beloved, one of the most accessible um, heroes of our time. And I wanted to go back in this life and say, so how does this happen? Because it is, it is relatively unique that a guy who is this famous for his entire life you know, is somebody that could be your next door neighbor and he would act the exact same way as the famous Yogi Berra did. So that really drew me in to say, okay, 
I have to go through his whole life and see how he turned out to be like this. Uh, the voice of John Pessa, who, again, has written a new book that is out now, uh, wherever books are found digitally and otherwise, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask, featuring 18-time All-Star Yogi Berra, a man that won the American League Most Valuable Player three times in his career. You could go on and on with the accolades, but uh, you know, I, I equate this. We we talk about dynasties and generations of of great teams. I mean, the Yankees were just iconic, obviously throughout the as I said, the middle of the last century of the twentieth century. But Yogi Berra, in an eight year span, won the MVP three times, finished second twice, and finished third and fourth. Once more, they won the championship six times in the eight years. Uh, Again, you talk about dynasty. You talk about dominance. He was as great a player on as dominant a team that that baseball has seen during that time period and what I rattled off, John, right? Yeah, and that's the really surprising thing. I mean, people think that, uh, you know, the Yankee lineage, it goes from DiMaggio to Mantle. It went from DiMaggio to Berra, who replaced DiMaggio at, as the cleanup hitter on the Yankees, to Mantle. I mean, the, from 1949 to 1953, the Yankees win five straight championships. Never been done before, never been done since. Mm. The best player on that team wasn't Joe DiMaggio, who, for, who uh, played on three of those teams. One year he was hurt most of the season. The last year of his career he hit 263. It wasn't Mickey Mantle who struggled striking out and adjusting to, to life in, in, in the limelight. It was Yogi Berra, by far, was the, was the most dominant player on that team. 20 home runs plus a year, 100 RBIs, 290 to 322, struck out no more than 35 times a season. Uh, one time struck out 12 uh, times, set the home run record for catchers. As you say, was, was a three-time MVP I mean, this guy was the dominant player in, in the American League. And, and I don't think when people think about Yogi, they necessarily think that he was that dominant. And that really, that really surprised me. And he was exactly the player that my father had described to me you know, for, for the years uh, before I knew what was going on in baseball. Uh, you know, I'm going to point you to another iconic moment, uh, and that is Don Larson's perfect game in that run of 49 through 56 and all those championships. Don Larson threw the perfect game in 1956 with Yogi Berra behind the plate. Uh, we we all, if you're a sports fan, you know about what I just mentioned there. If you're a baseball fan, you probably know more about that. What, what, if anything, do we not know that when you did your research in and around that and you illuminated in the book, you don't have to give away a lot in the book, make them read the book. I get that. I understand that. But what do we not know that they maybe find out more in Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask about Don Larson's perfect game? Well, there, there's two things. One, Yogi played American Legion ball for, for two years. And um, it just so happened that his uh, the, the post that he played for won the national title that year and their um, their prize was to go to the World Series and for the first three games of the series. And, of course, this is a team from St. Louis, and a bunch of the kids flock around Yogi, and Yogi points across the, the locker room and says, see that guy over there? You know, he, he didn't have a great season, but I, I think he's going to do something really great in this World Series. I think he's changed his windup, and just, just watch him. And that was Don Larson. 
And I sat with Larson for a couple of hours before a Yankee old-timers game. And obviously, I wanted to know more about, about this game. And he said, I'll tell you what. Yogi called, uh, I threw 96 pitches. Yogi called every one of them. I didn't brush him off once. Wherever he put his mitt, that's where I hit. We were both in the zone that day. You know, so much of my perfect game was due to the game that Yogi called. I said, well, that, that's pretty high praise coming from the guy who threw the, threw the perfect game. Mm. Well, yeah, and uh, giving credit to somebody else is what teamwork and leadership, and you begin to understand why the Yankees had the success that they had, and they can read more about it here in, in this book, Yogi, A Life uh, Behind the Mask. Uh, you know, I want to go back, though, before, I mean, people, they don't understand this, and I'm a little older, uh, I know you're a little older than I am, but uh, the, the younger generations, we talk about millennials, et cetera, et cetera, they can't wrap their mind around that professional athletes actually at times had to have jobs in the offseason, especially in Yogi's era, like you're talking about, because they didn't make enough money playing pro sports. They were playing pro sports and still needed to make ends meet by having a job in the offseason. Not only that, next level, service to your country. And Lawrence Peter Berra, Yogi Berra, was a Navy war hero as well. And a lot of people may not know that and realize that, how fascinating was it to go back and look at his years of service and serving in World War II with the United States Navy when you went back and, and looked at this? You know, I, I knew that he was in the Navy and that he was in the war, and that, that pretty much was my, my fans' uh, knowledge of, of that. And going back, I discovered that he volunteered for a secret mission. Um, and the mission was, was so secret that he wasn't allowed, none of them were allowed to tell their parents where they were going and what they were doing. And what they had volunteered for was something called uh, manning a rocket boat, which was all of 36 feet long wooden hull with slab of metal over the top of it and six, six crew members. And their job, they were literally the first boats um, to, uh, to um, cross the channel and set up 300 yards from the um, shore, and their job was to lob rockets into the machine gun nest up on the bluffs on Utah Beach and Omaha Beach mm. to give the soldiers a fighting chance to get off the transport and, and onto the beach. So they were the very first. Um, he was on that boat. Uh, you know, there were 12 of them, 12 boats, um, and he was um, literally the, the, the first uh, fighting force in the invasion of Normandy. He spent 13 years in, um, uh, in com- excuse me, 13 months in combat, um, got hit in the hand um, with a bullet, which thankfully for him and for us wow. didn't ruin his baseball career. Wow. Um, gets a Purple Heart, but does not apply for it until his 13 months of combat are over and he's coming home because he doesn't want to worry his mother. Mm. So that, that's the kind of guy Yogi was. Um, uh, uh, unreal story that you'll read more about and hear more about on Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask and the Yankees. Uh, you mentioned the old-timers days, and, 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 and a lot of the different Major League teams will do old-timers-type days, but nobody does it like the Yankees with all those legends, with all those greats, and they've done it really for 30, 40, 50 years of bringing the legends back. Even in the 70s and the 80s, they were doing this uh, and still do it in the in the present day. Uh, what what are those what were those like? Because he was still beloved 
Um, you know, I know we just lost him recently, but he was beloved into the 20 in the 2000s. He was beloved into the 2010s, even by the modern New York Yankees to have Yogi Berra around, right? Both, both by fans and by the uh, the players. I mean, Derek Jeter and uh, Jeter and and uh, Mariano Rivera and Tino Martinez. I mean, all of the Yankees loved having Yogi come into the in, into the, um, in the clubhouse. He was the kind of personality that just kind of like um, lit up a room, um, even though he was he was quiet. I mean, especially for those players, baseball players think that Hall of Famers walk on water. And and Yogi is like the Hall of Fame of the Hall of Famers. And, he, I mean, he's walking history. This is a guy who stood on the field with Babe Ruth, played with Joe DiMaggio and, and Mickey Mantle, won 10 uh, championships in the, in the 17 years that he played. They appeared in the World Series 14 times. Nobody does that. <laughs> and, and so the, the players love them. And, and when he had his break, you know, when, when George fired him and, and sent a guy, Clyde King to fire him instead of doing it himself, and Yogi was estranged from the Yankees for those 14 years and wouldn't even go when his best friend was, Phil Rizzuto, was uh, honored for his 50 years with the Yankees, or Don Mattingly, who, who uh, he got very close with when they retired his number, he wouldn't go. Joe Torre tried to get him to come to present the ring. He still wouldn't go. It wasn't until Steinbrenner apologized to him in 1999 in January at Yogi Berra Museum, which, by the way, if anyone ever happens to be up in, the, in North Jersey, it's a wonderful little museum to visit. And it wasn't until then that he came back to the Yankees. And when he came back, the ovations for him, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001, you know, all the way up until, you know, the last year or two of his life when he couldn't come to these games, he would get tremendous ovations. I mean, the, the, the fans missed him and loved him. Uh, again, John Pesso with me for a few more moments, who has written a book, a biographical look at Yogi Berra, Yogi Life Behind, Life Behind the Mask, and it is available now. John will tell you more about where and how you can get the book. Currently, it is out now. Um, again, this is a man that has had a 40-year career, uh, nominated for the Pulitzer Prize for writing and editing on Major League Baseball, used to be the was the founding editor of ESPN the magazine, which I don't mind telling you I thoroughly enjoyed uh, for its Thank run. Uh, also has written other books on the game, including The Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers, The Game, and How the Game Became a Billion-Dollar Game. So he's written about Yogi, the Yogi Berra Museum, by the way, in Montclair, New Jersey, uh, that is out that he was mentioning there a few moments ago. Um, all right, so we're in an interesting time to kind of to kind of shift off of this. We're, we're in a trying time. Uh, obviously, in the New York City area, the greater tri-state area, it has been an awful time because of COVID-19 coronavirus. Sports has a way of bringing us back, just like we were just talking about Yogi Berra. We're coming off, in the 1940s, a world war where tens of thousands of Americans died, did not, did not come home alive uh, from that. Sports helps us heal, is my point. Sports can begin to be the forerunner, the trailblazer on helping us heal and uniting us and that kind of thing. I am hopeful that we will get at least part of a baseball season. I know they're theorizing, John, maybe half of a baseball season. What is your take? Because we don't know the answer. They're not going to be playing games next week. They're hopefully going to be playing games by the beginning of July. I believe we need this. I hope that we can get it together. What's your belief on baseball uniting us a little bit and, and coming together and being able to play a season in 2020? What do you think? 
Well, I got to tell you, I miss it dearly. I mean, I've been listening to baseball since I was a little kid, and it's always on in the house during the baseball season. So there is a gigantic void right now. Um, and I think that that, uh, that goes for a lot of, of fans in this, in this country. I think, I mean, no, I know Rob Manford pretty well, and I know the union. Uh, I think they're going to try to do this. Um, a lot depends on, you know, as we reopen and, and, and testing expands, uh, what happens? Um, I, there, I mean, everything I hear is, is, you know, things that have been printed, uh, you know, a half a season, you know, a, a four month, a four week, um, training, no fans, you know, only, only, uh, TV, uh, no fans in the stadium and, and keep your fingers crossed because the one thing that, that, uh, would, would, would probably, you know, cause everything to come tumbling down is if suddenly a bunch of players came down with, uh, with sure. COVID. Sure. And, and then, and then we're, and then we're back to, you know, square one and, and no baseball and, and, and everything else that follows. Um, but I think that an, an awful lot of people, uh, want, you know, want to see this. I think that, I mean, uh, the book, uh, I mean, Yogi has sold um, pretty well, and I think that I have to give a lot of credit to Yogi and baseball because I think people are looking for exactly what you're talking about. And and Yogi is Yogi is the American dream. He's a feel good story, and and right now people want you know want feel good stories, and and Yogi might be the ultimate feel good story. Love that uh, again, Yogi. A life behind the mask is the book. The author John Pessa is with us for a few more moments. He'll tell you more about how and where to get the book that's already out. Uh, this man's already been on the New York Times bestseller list with previous baseball book. Uh, so I love that as well. And you, and you make a great point, too. You're going to have to be ready for all of the different variables, including uh, what happens if there are players, uh, support staff, et cetera, that get this. It is just going to be part of the new normal. How do you treat this and and what do you do? But sports, again, can unite us. I, I'm smiling even though you can't see me because you don't know this. On the evening before we talked, I happened upon, speaking of the Yankees, the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Reggie Jackson three-home run World Series game from 1977 happened to be on the MLB Network last night. And of course I had to stop. And of course I had to wait for Reggie's next at bat where he hit a home run because we're all in need of some baseball here and there. We've right. been without it for the last couple of months, John. That's your point. We're finding it in, in places, uh, old-timey games, uh, legendary games, games that we know the outcomes of. Yeah, I mean, I remember that game very well. I mean, three home runs on three pitches. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, well, if I'm you know, correct, Yogi too, was, uh, was it three different pitchers? Also, it was at least two, right? Bert Hooten, Charlie Huff, and Elias Sosa, I think, is the other name. And it was all on the first pitch. I didn't remember that, but that's why we have John here. That's incredible. Yeah, all on the first pitch. And yeah, Yogi was a was was a coach on that team, and he was kind of looked at as the tranquility coach because if you remember, George, Billy, and and Reggie was a very volatile mix. Mm, and yeah. you know there was that game in in Boston when <laughs> when uh, Yogi I mean when when Billy and and Reggie almost came to blows and it was Elston Howard who was a close friend of Yogi's and Yogi who who knew this was coming the players saw them uh, inch into position and as soon as um, Billy charged um, uh, Reggie Yogi just you know had big strong hands just grabbed him. And, and held him, and the, and the other players pulled uh, Reggie into the clubhouse, and the next day Billy is showing off the bruises that he has on his back from where Yogi grabbed him. And he goes, my good friend Yogi, see what he did to me? And he was joking. 
But yeah, Yogi seems to be in the middle of, of, of an awful lot of baseball history. No doubt. And they were showing that game in part. You don't know this, but again, it ties to this uh, because it was Reginald Martinez Jackson's 74th birthday on May the 18th. That's the night they were showing this game. And you're talking to someone whose father was also born on May the 18th of 1946, and he also turned 74 on Reggie Jackson's birthday the same way. So I always have joked with him later in life, he's a huge Yankee fan, even though never lived in New York, always lived in the South, I would say, hey, Reggie, 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 like the same birthday. So it it just, it all kind of tied uh, together. But there again, you're giving us stories like what you find in the book that Yogi was in the middle of that. By the way, you undersold volatile situation. That was a volcanic (laughs) eruption situation with Steinbrenner, Billy Martin, Reggie Jackson, and all of that dynamic. That was volcanic eruption stuff whenever that happened, and Yogi uh, was in the middle of it. Uh, one more time, tell the fans or what, uh, you know, besides the obvious that we've been talking about, what else appeals about getting this book and grabbing it, even if you're not a Yankee fan, John? You will still enjoy this. Tell them why. Tell them more. Well, I'll tell you what. He, he was, his career tracked the, the rise of television. And Yogi Berra becomes one of the first television stars in America. He was always on the Game of the Week because they broadcast the Yankees. He was always in the World Series, which was like a seven-day Super Bowl since baseball was the dominant sport in, in, in America. He was on commercials selling everything from Yoo-Hoo to Camel cigarettes to, to cat food. He was uh, on TV shows. He played a, a brain surgeon on General Hospital. He was. Uh, he did cameos in an, in a movie with Marilyn Monroe and another movie with Cary Grant and Doris Day. I, as as far as the the uh, the fame and the reach of of of, of a personality in the 50s and 60s, it didn't get much bigger than Yogi Berra. And that really, I mean, I was born just as that was happening, so I don't remember it. And going back and seeing just how much of a reach this man had um, and how he handled his fame so gracefully. Um, it was just just absolutely fascinating. Love it. Uh, love getting to talk here with John Pessa. Yogi, a life behind the mask. All right, how do they get a hold of it and where? Tell them more because the book is out right now. What's the best ways and methods? Go ahead on how they find this book. Well, um, it it sold out the first day on Amazon, and unfortunately, <laughs> Amazon couldn't get books in um, for another two weeks because they prioritize, rightfully so, essentials. And essential as it is to read about baseball, food, sure. and medicine came first. Sure. So as of May 1, they now have enough books to, to buy, and Amazon seems to be the go-to for people buying online. And until you can walk into Barnes & Noble, sure. which was going to have a very nice dis- display of Yogi because they really um, liked the book and I think they just liked Yogi. Um, you know, so when, when books are, when the stores are open, uh, Barnes and Noble is the best place, Amazon.com, um, IndieBooks.com to support your local um, uh, book dealer, which is, I think is really important to keep small businesses alive, especially during this time. So those, and if, and if you, you know, if you can't find any of them, you can go to my website, uh, John, J-O-N, Pessa, P-E-S-S-A-H.com. And I have where you can buy this book and my first book as well. Love that. So again, John Pessa, and again, it's spelled P-E-S-S-A-H-J-O-N, John Pessa and JohnPessa.com. But again, look for Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. It is out right now. 
This has been a blast to talk with you. Continued success. You've already had it. You sold out immediately on the copies on Amazon. Everybody's looking to read up right now because of social distancing and isolation. I love it. Continued success with that. This was a treat. Thank you. I will make sure that my father finds the book uh, as well, being a huge Yogi Berra fan. Thank you, John, and good luck with the book. I appreciate you popping on the Three Dog Thursday podcast with me, sir. TJ, you're right. It's been a blast. It's been a pleasure. And anytime you want to talk baseball, that's, you know, on and off the air, I'm here. And there he goes. My pleasure to have John Pessa on the program again. Grab the book, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. You can find it on Amazon, wherever uh, you find books digitally online with the bookstore slowly beginning to reopen in the different phases of the coronavirus. You may be able to find it on the shelves. As as John was saying in the interview, it sold out in the first run immediately. They ordered new uh, shipment, new batch of books to come out. Again, find Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask is a great Father's Day gift. Uh, I'm grabbing it for my father as well. As I mentioned in the interview, my father was such a hero a worshiper of Yogi Berra's, uh, wanted to be a catcher from the time he was a little league guy through youth sports and youth baseball and high school baseball to be like Yogi Berra back in the 50s and the 60s when he was growing up. So Yogi was a hero, and John Piss has done a great job writing about him. Go grab the book, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. Uh, John, again, spending four years with the research, the interviews, and everything you're going to find in the book. Enjoy yourself there, even if you're not a Yankee fan. The guy's an icon. The guy's a hero, Yogi Berra. So good luck with John in the book. My thanks again also to Gary Seegers back at the beginning of the program. Gary with the Winning Cures Everything podcast. He and Chris Giannini. Find him at winningcureseverything.com. Winning Cures Everything on YouTube, on Facebook. Their daily five-day-a-week show is out. It's also in podcast form under Winning Cures Everything on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Thanks to Gary for hopping on the show. Uh, We appreciate his insight as well. And we thank you for being with me here as part of the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to the underdogs. The games are coming back. We got NASCAR racing. We got golf coming back soon enough. Hopefully the hockey, the basketball playoffs later in the summer. Baseball, can they figure it out? My goodness, though, we do have some sports to talk about, and we'll keep cranking it out as June rolls on on Three Dog Thursday. I am merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for finding me. Follow the show at Three Dog Thursday on Twitter. And again, subscribe to the podcast, Three Dog Thursday, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. And thank you for finding me here on this edition of Three Dog Thursday. Bye.